Welcome to episode 194 of Control the Controllables. And here we are, the most anticipated Grand Slam of the year. And doesn't it come quick? It feels like we were playing on the red stuff not so long ago. And we've had two, three grass court events leading in to SW19, to Wimbledon, the place if you have never been to Wimbledon I beg you to try it's worth camping out overnight it's worth doing what you can to get your hand on tickets it is just such an incredible event I won't be there this year Harry Heliavara one of the two doubles players that I work with his wife is giving birth over well anytime soon so good luck to, to Harry and the whole family as they go from a family of three to a family of four. And Lloyd Glasspool will be playing with Nicholas Mahou in, in Wimbledon this year. So I will be supporting them remotely. And I've got my guests again, the dream team. Piotr Sherpatowski is on with us again, the coach of Shelby Rogers and the former coach of Iga Sviatek, who won Roland Garros three times now can she and watch out for one of the picks for eager as it comes into the show and I want you to let me know if you agree with that or not it will make sense soon and then we got Gabby Dabrowski the doubles player being as high as number four in the world she joined the panel for the French Open and it was a big hit so we're delighted to have her back and her good friend Emily Webley Smith who is going to be coaching Gabby at Wimbledon this year she should be playing there herself, in my opinion. There's nobody in British tennis who is giving what she has given over the last 20 years, and she's still doing fantastically well. So it would be great to see her playing. But next year, M, you will be there. But thank you for joining us. And the ever-present Kieran Vorster. He's always got a word or two to say. He's been working with Dan Evans over the grass court season. He lets us know how that's been going, and as well as Liam Brody. And then, of course, Freddie Nielsen, the Davis Cup captain of Denmark, the 2012 men's doubles champion at Wimbledon. Brilliant, brilliant panellists who you're going to love. If it's your first time listening to our panel, then I hope you enjoy and please do let us know how, what you think. Go back. You can learn so much from these episodes. If you are an ever-present at Control the Controllables, the cocktail works once again. You will love it. But let's just hope that the panellists live by that name of experts as they make their calls for who's going to be winning the titles and some of the names that are going to be going far in the event. We've tried to get the criteria sorted so that we have a stronger idea of what a dark horse is. So listen out for that and so much more. I'm passing you over to our Wimbledon 2023 panellists. So a big welcome to Control the Controllables our Wimbledon 2023 panelists, how are you doing? Great. Thanks. <laughs> Good. It's, awesome. It's not been easy getting you guys together eh? in the the busy period, the grass court season. So a big, big thank you for for coming in. And I want to jump in. Actually, we talk about grass courts, and it's a bit of the unknown around the world. And Gabby, you're nodding your head, so I'm going to jump to you because to to those listening. 
What is different about the grass courts? How much have they changed? Who's it giving an advantage to? You know, and for and for someone who hasn't spent a lot of time on many surfaces, let us know about the mystery of grass court tennis. I think the grass is a lot slower than it used to be. I can't speak for every single tournament, um, but I remember even from Wimbledon the last couple of years, I thought the grass had slowed down considerably. Um, and I think you also see that with the results of some of the girls who've done well, who are more of the grinder defensive styles and like a Tatiana Maria making semifinals last year or Barbara Strikova in 2019. So I think the grass has definitely changed. I'm not exactly sure why. Um, I don't know what they're doing differently. Do you know if they're doing anything differently, Ems? No, I mean, I would say normally, obviously, when they didn't get that year of play during COVID, what normally happens when it hasn't been played on is the grass is, you know, less flat. But in the terms of the bigger tournaments with the preparation that they have, that doesn't count as much. But I know that with the weather that we've had, you would expect it to be quicker and it's not. The balls are bouncing relatively high. Like you're not parking your ass on the ground all match long. But it's still, we get different results, don't we? Even if we, we look at Nottingham WTA, there was the three British girls, you know, went went finalists, semifinals. They, they haven't been doing that, on, certainly on a clear court, you know, but or, or, or a hard court. So we are seeing these different results. We always get, we've got Billy Harris that's into the last round of, of qualifying tomorrow, British player. You know, fair play to Billy. You know, he's a he's a big, big friend here at the podcast. And and also Anna Brogan, who I saw won late tonight, had a I think a top hundred win and has moved into last round qualifying. So it does tend to give Piot the chance for for people to almost pick up bigger upsets than other court surfaces. Is that still fair? I would say that yeah, that's totally fair. Of course, it's slower. Even here in Wimbledon, it's absolutely slow. Even comparing to Eastbourne, I don't know why grass is so long. I see it first time. Of course, it's Arangi Pavilion, not Championship courts. I will tell you tomorrow how Championship courts play, but terribly slow. So, but what you said, I would say it's about experience because how many hours on grass court we actually experience through the life and this season of grass court playing is so short that one player might have even like three times more experience on grass comparing to others who've been injured for two years in a row and not playing grass. So I would say upsets, yep, a lot of them, but we cannot justify them only because we don't have enough knowledge how many time, how much time the players spent actually on grass in their lifetime. And I think it's huge factor here about the results. I think it's it's such a good point, Piat. And one of the names I have on my sheet is Feliciano Lopez. And I know he's actually not playing Wimbledon. I mean, it might change. I don't know if there's all the wild cards. I guess all the wild cards have been given. But he's playing his last tournament in Mallorca. I had a little look and I thought, I haven't seen him hardly play or win a match for so long. Last year, he played 17 singles matches. He won one and it was on grass. This year, he has played before this week, played six singles matches, won one. And this week he's gone and beat Purcell and Jordan Thompson on the grass. His his last ever match. It's a great story. It's in his home country. Uh, but it, it almost, if I put it this way, if anyone wanted to play me at tennis now and I wanted to have any chance of getting a respectable score against anybody, I'd be saying, get me on that grass court now. 
you know, and I think that fits in. We talk Venus Williams, Venus Williams in Birmingham, you know, won a match then, then put it against George, you know, a, an unbelievable result, you know, and at 43 years old, Andy Murray, you know, he's winning a lot, winning a lot of matches. It does seem to favor that experience, Freddie. So, so that gives me the question. We talked about big three, big three. Well, I did. Maybe you guys didn't. But big three for the French Open. Are we opening that up to different names that we're looking to to go further in Wimbledon than they did at the French Open? I'm I'm not so sure. I uh, I still think that they're the the main favourites to to do well. But like you say, it does open up for different kind of players. I think the main thing is the the movement. It's much more difficult to move on the grass than it is on the other surfaces. So a lot of the movement is a little bit of, for lack of better expression, damage control. And you hit a lot more ball, uh, balls and shots, kind of tippy-tapping around the court, trying to avoid to 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 slide. And and I think that's the day you, you don't really get to take full cuts or be in balance as much or, do, uh, or, or kind of take off in the sides. And I think that's, that, that's something that makes you kind of hide your weaknesses a little bit more. You can play a little more less tactical in the sense you can just kind of try and power your way through. You get a little bit of help on the serve. It's not as important that it's incredibly accurate because it's not as easy to to return. Uh, with regards to your, to, to the, I have one comment about the, the, the court speed. Like, I think, didn't they change the sort of grass they use and, and change the direction of the grass? I think they cut it, it differently. I think they cut it the opposite direction. Because I remember Daniel Nestor telling me a story about how he was he qualified in one of few rounds, I think, and he said it was his serve was just taken off, and then the next year it was a different ball game. Like the, you, know, you couldn't play the same way at all. And also, I think the balls got bigger and slower, so so you can play a lot more from the baseline. However, so so it's easy. I think a guy like Lindell would have probably appreciated the guy the way the grass plays now, as opposed to when he was playing and trying to to win a Grand Slam, taking French Open out of the calendar to try and, and prepare. And if you go back 30 years ago and before, it's just looking at where the grass is worn down. Like back then, it didn't really make sense to play um, from the baseline. It didn't really pay off with the technology. Now the grass is only worn behind the baseline. And uh, We played Davis Cup last year in India, and it was a little more old school, and it was so clear to see the difference. I mean, it was just if, if you had a good connection and came in, you could really disrupt the game. Whereas, uh, whereas now you can basically people go from French Open straight into to Queens or wherever they play or Stuttgart and they just they strike the ball well from day one. So it's, it's just a different ball game. So I think there's less chances of upset as there has been ever. But of course there still is. And I think especially in the beginning of the week when the grass is very green, it feels like when it's you know when it kind of evens out the grass and it, it gets a little more worn down that the favorites seem to be a little more in control. Whereas in the first few, I feel like that's always when when Rafa used to lose in Wimbledon would be early doors against some 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 surprising players when the grass was green and you couldn't really move as well as you could in the second week. So uh, long long answer to your question. I I still think we're looking for the top three in both. Maybe some of the maybe a girl like Anshabur can come in and and uh, and trouble them, but she she hasn't really looked great in the weeks up to. So I still think we're looking for the top three in both sides. And Vozzy, from a from a physical prep side, you know, listening to what Gabby's saying, you don't basically have to get your arse as low as you used to, you know, and that was, that was the thing on grass. You played on grass, you were down, you were low, you were, you know, and, and I guess you were developing 
different differently physically or preparing different physically is that something you've noticed that you're a little bit different as the years have gone on or or, or are you still going with the traditional preparation physically on on a grass court i think um i i go with the original just the classic preparation in the early rounds grass is greasy so you're just working on on them light on their feet uh, and being as agile as they can um and then obviously you know, as as the week goes on, they're cutting the grass shorter and shorter and shorter. So the grass, the the, the court does start playing faster. But you know, you've got to hang in there to to, to get there. And um, there was there was um, a a rumor going around that they put thirty percent more clay into the in, into the foundation. But I met the uh, head uh, groundsman of Wimbledon. He said that that's just a load of rubbish. That they never did. Um, they they claim they haven't done anything different. But it, it, you know, like at Irangi last last week, the, the grass was very spongy. It was the grass was was long for a grass court, which which Piotr just said, uh, mentioned there. Um, going back to your original question, yeah, I mean, you, you they've got to be agile on the feet. There's a lot of, of lunging lunging patterns that they're doing. You know, for a couple of drop step movement patterns as well. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I, you're still I mean, you're still focusing on the explosiveness of two three shot shot rallies. Um, and and being able to repeat them for long periods of time. So I haven't changed the, the physical side. Basically, the people that got big serves are going to have big serves, and people that have big returns are going to have big returns that are going to neutralize the big servers. Um, from my perspective, I've always, I've always said and maintained that you just focus on your players best. So, um, yeah, just working on their attributes, making sure that they feel comfortable, you know, feet, feet on the grass, grounded. There's, there's been a couple... Other suggestions that when when the players first go on the grass, actually wear hard court shoes for the first three or four days, so they try and be more light on it and don't rely on on the studs of the grass, and then transition off the hard courts onto on onto grass court shoes. Stefan Edberg used to do it back in the 90s. You'd play the th- first three or four days in, in hard court shoes and then transition into the grass grass court shoes. All well and good if you don't do your groin on day one, I guess. Yeah, all well good. That's where the Copenhagen's coming to. Uh, into play and make sure your your adductors are nice and strong. Um, yeah, so just yeah, I guess you know gen, general strength. You know, obviously the glutes, the glutes, um, the adductors, the quads. You know, all all those go-to areas are going to have to be in, in great shape. Um, and then you know, obviously being able to recover. Yeah, just just making sure you're on top of those things. And Piot, from a coach's standpoint, how does it differ? How does preparation differ differ yourself from other court surfaces, or maybe from previous grass court seasons. Ah, you don't want to know what what our preparation was for <laughs> grass court season this year. Shall we came up with perfect idea? The less I practice, the the less expectations I will have. So I think that's the best explanation for it because it's so difficult to learn grass properly, and I think you just have to go be a little bit i would call it tighter in a, like in a good way like being ready for anything yeah. and just you know smack the ball all out you cannot leave it to to the opponent to have any chance to pass you so just go out, out full and i think that's what we're practicing right now and, and freddy grass grass court the last thing on grass courts it's something that you've always enjoyed playing on you know, it suits it suits your it suits your game. Holger, we're going to get into him. I would imagine there's not a lot of grass courts in Denmark. 
I would imagine it's not something that you guys are brought up on too much. So where did you learn your love of, of grass courts and, and how can we expect that to transfer for, for, for Holger over the next couple of weeks? We don't have grass, but we actually have a lot of uh, very fast indoor courts carpet, yeah. and, uh, and uh, particularly playing on carpet, which is not too dissimilar. And, uh, and I always appreciated that. So for some reason, my timing was always quite natural on the grass. Um, I'm, I never took a lot of time working on grass. I, I would actually, especially the last year, just practice on, on clay a lot because I found that my timing and my, my movement, I, I was never able to move, so it didn't really matter. But on grass, it wasn't exposed as much because I, I, I didn't have to be as strong at the sides. There was more timing. So I would spend more time on the grass, on the clay leading up so that my, my racket speed and my forearm strength would be, be, uh, be strong because uh, I would have to 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 uh, rip a lot of balls from low under the net net height and make sure that I have racket speed through the through the through the shot because it, as as grass goes on I feel like it's one of those surfaces where I, I, I feel I'm the best in week one and I'm the worst in the last week because it's I kind of have half swings and, and a lot of out of balance shots so um, so, so I think, yeah, it's one of the more peculiar uh, services like that. I you always used to appreciate practicing on hard court during the tournaments to make sure that my swings were 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 still true and long. So, so uh, yeah, in that sense, I don't know. It always came natural for us, and we. I think if you have the frame of mind of playing indoor tennis, you kind of have a decent frame of mind to be able to play grass court. Uh, I think and. I think that's also going to benefit Holger in the long run. He didn't have a great grass court season last year, but he's already looking much more comfortable this year, making semifinals yeah. of Queens and, and only getting better. And he's a very, very smart guy when it comes to what he needs to do on different courts and different surfaces. And he'll be be aware and, and, and learn from last year and all, already the matches this year as to what works and what he needs to get better on. So, so I think that's where he's at. I, I want to pick up on your point there, actually, about what it can do to your game, grass courts. Uh, Evan Evan Hoyt, a few years ago, when I was working with him, he ended up having a longer grass court season than we thought he was going to have. And then he, he went straight off for the US Challenger circuit. And he just started to report. I wasn't with him in America, but he was just reporting that his backhand felt terrible. You know, he really struggled. And then I saw him about a month later and he was playing so short and jabby on, on the backhand, you know, and when, and when we reflected on it, it was like, that's what he'd felt he almost had to do to react to, to the certain bounces or the, or the different speeds or variation that happens on a grass court. And I think it's such a, it's such a, it's such a nice point to hear you say there, to have that awareness of, of, of your game as you're going through a tournament, because I guess it's different surfaces, different balls, different situations can can actually have an effect. And before you know it, you can start to have confidence issues in on certain shots. And if you're unable to have the intelligence to work out why that might be, it's hard to make a change. So it's a point that I think is well worth picking up on. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's obviously very uh, individual. I know some guys would definitely only stay on grass because they only wanted to feel that movement. And I think it's very individual. I think... I seem to remember Krychek when he won Wimbledon. I, I heard that he didn't practice on grass once uh, and just played the matches. So I think it's very individual, but it's also, yeah, I think if you're 
if you're aware of what's happening and and you know yourself, you can uh, you can you can you can be prepared for it, and you can make sure that you are you you know what's going to happen during the the time. But it is, I mean, if you have the long grass court season, starting with the challenges, ending with Newport, your your tennis can look pretty <laughs> pretty rank at the end. Absolutely, and and to. I want to get into the picks quite early today because I'm sure there's going to be lots that we're, we're going to talk about. We have quite a big topic to discuss on our criteria of our dark horse selection, given that there's been multiple Grand Slam champions sneaking in as dark horses on the last couple of previews. Um, <laughs> but I want to I want to see, and I want to throw it to you, Emily. What are the storylines? We always ask it. What's what's coming the next couple of weeks? We always get surprised with something. You know, in the French Open, we didn't see the Hall of Paris just booing whoever walked on court, but it happened. You know, so what is it going to be at Wimbledon the next two weeks? I think from uh, the women's perspective, there's a couple of players who, um, like a Suway or like people like that, who are in qualies at the moment, who are still very dangerous on a grass court. Um, but also stories like Strakova is going to be playing her last Wimbledon. And I think it's a time when you've got like the new crowd coming through, but you've also got a, a lot of people with some experience on the surface who can still be quite dangerous. Um, and I think from a women's perspective, we may still be talking about the big three like we have for, for the French. But I think there's going, definitely going to be an opportunity for a few dark horses to go deep into the tournament, which generally for Wimbledon, there often is. Um, like a Tatiana Maria last year. Um, we were watching a little bit from Qualies yesterday um, at Roehampton. And I think anyone who has had matches and won matches on the surface is at an advantage, um, more so than any other surface coming in. And what are the stories, guys? Who? What are the storylines? What? Are, what are we not seeing? What's the? What's the obvious not picking up over the next couple of weeks? That's that's of interest. Activists. Yep. They're going to be causing havoc. They, 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 they pinpointing um, sporting events. So they did one at the Epsom Derby, which is the biggest flat horse race in Europe. The police arrested like 20, 30 people. So what they'll do is they'll try and get on the track and all. When will they find a way to put a stop to that before it happens? Yep. At World Snooker Championships, they threw orange powder on the snooker table. They did it today at the um, cricket at Lords. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, they're just they're just trying to be disruptive. They've earmarked Wimbledon as the next one, but I'm sure they'll they'll have interventions in place because they have a lot of plain close security there, uh, walking around. So, I think that's going to be a big one, a big talking point post post the championships. What else? The all. All England club have get gone against their all white policy this year for the first time. For, for ladies, for ladies, all the women yeah. can can wear dark underwear, shorts for the first time, yeah. and that that's got to be a positive move, Gabby. Hugely, finally, what year is it? Oh my god, <laughs> um, yeah, it's been uh, incredibly stressful my entire life playing at Wimbledon. Um, yeah. Actually, I was talking to another player the other day saying that she actually adjusts her contraception to not have her menstrual okay. cycle during Wimbledon. So yeah. 
I think it's something that we haven't talked about a lot, but something that literally affects every single woman in the draw. And so, yeah, so I'm really, really glad that they finally decided that we can wear colored undershorts. Yeah. That will be like a huge relief. Absolutely. And And it seems like uh, such a no-brainer when you hear it like this, right? Yeah. 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 It's causing a problem for 50% of the draw. And and it's taken till twenty twenty three, potential, you know, potentially to 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 get to that point. So that's 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 it. That's another good step forward. Definitely. And, and also, Wimbledon um, are using um, they're implementing what Roland Garros did last year and this year with reusable water bottles um, and refills. So I'm interested to see how that goes. Yeah, I have that water bottle too. <laughs> Everywhere, everywhere I look on social media, someone's got a Perrier Roland Garros bottle. I, I saw, I saw Djokovic was out for a walk with his family, and his wife, <laughs> his wife had one. And do you know what made me laugh is as you walked into Roland Garros and you got given the bottles, it said, "Make sure before you leave, <laughs> you give your two bottles back." Yeah. And uh, Mrs. Djokovic has been found out. That she that she did that she did that she didn't stick to the rules. And you talk about also people giving up the one one of the the stories, and I don't know the absolute ins and outs of this, whether this is a hundred percent physical health or whether it is partly mental health as well. Um, but Contavit is playing her last Wimbledon, you know, and it wasn't so long ago she was number two in the world. She was absolutely smashing it. Um from what I understand, maybe the life of a tennis player hasn't fully fully worked for her. I don't know exactly what the official the official line is, but at age twenty eight, that's a little bit sad, Piot, that you know players again to twenty eight and and maybe not fully enjoying that journey. Yep, that's true. I know a little bit from behind the scenes, and I think it's both related not only to physical health but mental health so yeah. it's never like divided like if if you are you have a will to fight through paint you will probably find a way i'm not saying every single time is possible but most of the times is possible and we have best example of andy murray but on the other hand uh, if you are not willing to sacrifice what you've been sacrificing already and doing even more that's totally understandable and i think it's a good decision for her i'm not sure about her ranking i'm i think the decision was really dictated with the ranking too because she's dropping a lot of points and actually that might be her last grand slam which she would sign in to the main draw so maybe that's why that might be one of the factors which actually made her decide to finish after wimbledon yeah but doesn't it just show vozzy how you can be at the top of the game but to stay at the top of the game is is just incredible from from all sides and i know we talked about this in the french open review you know are these players able we're talking about mukova is she going to be able to keep putting it in week in week out and and so few are able to do it and it once again i guess that sort of storyline for me just brings home the absolute difficulties of the sport the brutality of it really yeah, I mean, I mean, we, we obviously also heard Radikanu um, come out and say that she, uh, she she regrets winning a slam because of all the pressure and 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 everything that was put on her. Yeah, I think it takes it takes something special for for a someone to get up there and then b for someone to to keep at the top. I I, I call it 
I, I used to call it the 10% rule. You've got to do 10% better every year just to maintain the level that you're at. But, I mean, you can use whatever analogy you want. You can use a 1% rule or 5% rule. Um, and I think, I think, yeah, I think players also realise that, you know, when they get to the top, it, maybe this is not what it's all, you know, made out to be on the 10. And then you've got other players that, that just, you know, to love, embrace the tour, embrace, embrace everything that comes with it, embrace the pressure. Um, you know, of someone like a Dan Evans loves loves playing, loves working hard, loves lacing up the the shoes, crossing the white line, and and being a competitive animal. Um, other other people are struggle with that. I think you make a good point about how uh, it's not all what it's made out to be, and I think a lot of players they, I I I'm just guessing that they think that the that the success and the wins are going to be a substitute for quality of life. That that is the, the the way to quality of life, and when they get there, they realize that they're it hasn't made a made a big difference in their life, and that's maybe personally why I try to install in my players a lot that they have a healthy relationship to their to their life on and off the court, regardless of results, so that they're not uh, depending on external factors to provide happiness or joy in their lives. Yeah, I I I I, I totally agree. Uh, it's not easier, so. Yeah, no, I, I, but, but I, I I agree with you 100%. It's not easy, I, especially for, if you're a young person coming through that just wants to win and this is like, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, this is all I want in my life. That's the other thing is that you, 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 you're getting success at such a young age and then by the time you're 27, 28, you're burnt out, you're tired, you've had enough, you know, and you're ready to move on. Ash Barty, I guess, you know, how, how sad is that to see such a great talent you know, hang up the rackets and, you know, she's, she's moved on. And, you know, speaking to Mark Taylor, who worked with her, he said there's no way, absolutely no chance she'll ever come back and play. He speaks to her on a regular basis. Yeah, uh, but I think from she's in, obviously in the minority with the money that she's made from the sport. And I think if you speak to the majority of 26, 27-year-olds who aren't players who have come out of university and are working, I'm sure they're pretty tired from a Monday to Friday you know, mm. eight or six job um, where they're not making very much and they're working really hard just to be able to go out on the weekend. So I think I agree that it's tough and it's a really tough sport, but I think there's also an element of it that players should be a little bit more grateful for the opportunity that they have to play. Um, and in comparison to many jobs in the world, it's not that hard for what they're making. It's not, yeah, it's not, it's not that hard. I don't disagree, but there's other pressures that come with it, i.e. Absolutely, yeah. as there are with any job, but more, more yeah. so at the moment. Yeah, like a 16, 17-year-old traveling, traveling on their own. Yeah, that's um, what I wanted to point out. Like, you are 25, but you have already like 15 years of experience. Show me somebody who is 26 working for a company who has 15 years of experience traveling around the mm -hmm. world, competing with other players and having the stress every day. Every week, yeah, just every month. Yeah, they travel at all, though, some of them, I guess. Yeah, know, like, people never get that opportunity, a lot of people. Like, you know, yeah, people yeah. say, when did you start playing tennis? Or, like, how long have you been pro? I'm like, well, I started at seven, and I was, like, officially pro at 18, 19, I guess. But I feel like I've been working since I was nine years old. Like, literally nine years old, I feel like I've been working. So... You're talking about yourself, yeah. there. You feel like from the age of nine, you've been working. Yes, because the way that my childhood was structured around tennis, yeah. it was eat, live, yeah. breathe tennis 24-7. There was no break. It was constant. So I feel like 
I've probably been burnt out for like 12 years at least, you know? Right. There's others maybe who had a better balance growing up, then maybe they can appreciate it more. I don't know. In 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 how many other aspects of life are you peaking at at mid twenties, you know? Every every other aspect of life you have a slow uh progression and then if you you rise the ranks so you get I'm still waiting freddie i'm still waiting to peak and i'm 43 mate <laughs> <laughs> exactly. okay. but 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 i mean athletes they peak at mid-20s and they retire at their mid-30s if they're lucky and and then what then you start a new life where other other people they are not underplaying that but it's just a different situation you know you have to you have to peak and be at your best while you're still relatively immature in life and stuff and it's really it can be really difficult the question i would have though surrounding something like Emiratikanu is why do we have someone like a patrick vitova who's won multiple grand slam champions but doesn't share the same sentiment or maybe she does but she doesn't articulate it but it seems like she has had unbelievable success over the course of her life at different points in her career but she still keeps going. So what is that? Is that the people that she has around her support her better? She has a better head on her shoulders. Her success didn't come overly young. There wasn't so much attention and so much expectation on her. Like, what is the difference in a case like that, you know? And can I ask a few more questions? And it's going to be related to Petra and actually Contaveit, because look at the Contaveit who actually picked winning four tournaments in your in a row being in a finals at the end of the year so for me it's maximal overload you can get nothing worse can happen to you because it's of course great winning but after that you feel deplenished from everything and then you're talking about kvitova who lastly doesn't even practice he practiced once hour every few days you know one one hour every few days he's relaxed he he said that when she what she won the which tournament she won miami and she was like oh i just practiced two hours before Maybe that's again the talk we had last time. Maybe we are actually over training, you know, constantly. And I don't mean it in the wrong way, but since young kids, you know. But it also leads to the to the other question: Has she, for lack of better words, I'm not saying she has, but has she then underachieved? Could she have ended up with more slams if she had been less relaxed? You know, I mean, there, there's yeah, also. You, you guys are going into into a rabbit hole, which 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 is you know you have it's and Bali and you have all these nature nurture, ten thousand hours, ten ten year rule, and and I'm, I think it's just different strokes for different folks. You've got you know someone someone like a Yevgeny Kafsonikov, he felt that he needed to practice six hours a day or something, you know, you know definitely four 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 hours a day just for, for, for him to keep keep his game fine tuned. And then you had someone like Tim going, you know, going into slams. who was happy practicing, you know, forty-five minutes to an hour, but finding that you know his game was in check. And I think, I think it's different strokes for different folks. Um, and and it's all will also then come down to don't fix something that's not broke. So if you're working with somebody that is getting the results, you, you're not going to change it. But if you're working with somebody that is you you, you may think is undercooking their tennis. Or their physical side, uh, going into in, you know go, and and going into big tournaments, then you you may want to have a conversation in terms of how how you're going to periodize it from from a, a load and a volume point of view, from a tennis point of view, going in so that when they go and you feel that they've they've got the load, got the volume for that individual for them to achieve to play at their best each time they they. Uh, play a match in a slam and I, th I think it's an interesting point but I, 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 
think you can't, you know, like when, when Andy, when Andy was a huge success, he, he was practicing long, he would have one long session. And then all of a sudden, you know, everybody here in England was doing one long session. You know, it works for him, but it's not going to work for everybody else. And so I think, you know, I think through the art of being a great coach is by actually making mistakes. But by making mistakes once and then learning from it, and that's, that's the art of it. And then falling, falling upon what you feel is the right recipe for the, for the individual player or team that you're working with, uh, you're going to get the most success. And then what happens is, as, as humans, we all then go, oh, so-and-so over there is doing that. We must all do that. And it's like, no, work it out for yourselves. Work it out for yourselves with the players that, that the player you are or the player you're working with and, and, find, and, and work out what the, what the best recipe is and then go with that. But that doesn't mean that's the holy grail for everybody else to do, in my opinion. I'm sitting here smiling because I feel quite privileged to be listening to all of your great minds and experiences to be you know, passing, passing this on and, and, and having a discussion and Pat Cash has jumped to my head actually, because I spoke to Pat uh, a couple of months ago on the podcast and Pat's a men's Wimbledon champion, which is one of very few. If you look at the list, Sampras, Federer and Djokovic have pretty much taken, taken the rest. So, so there's actually not that many other men's Wimbledon champions of the last 30, 40 years. And he didn't say these words, but he kind of said similar to Raducanu in, in other words, that it was one of the worst things that happened in his life. And because, because what he, what he said as it, as his life went on, he was always searching that feeling and that expectation of being a Wimbledon champion it, to the point where it massively, massively affected his self-esteem. He went into depression and in, and on reflection, it was this search. It was this search of, of feeling of, of of ego of 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 emotion that we get from an outcome which which i think going to your story gabby that from nine years old what i think you're probably saying is you were in an environment where success was only measured in winning and and being the best tennis player and and i always i reflect a lot on these 195 episodes i've done on the podcast speaking to so many unbelievable unbelievable people and one of my massive takeaways from it that's big time in my philosophy now is, is around success measures. You know, what are everyone's own personal success measures? And, and I think in our industry, we get so caught up in those success measures, being lifting a trophy, holding a ranking, having a big check, you know, as coaches as well. You know, here's me. Look at me. What a, what an egotistical prick. I'm sat here with my Roland Garros bottle walking around the academy. Oh, you went to Roland Garros. You know, like it's all, that's that's all all of the kind of bullshit that when we actually strip it all down, it is. It's a lot of bullshit. You know, who we are as people, how happy we are, how healthy we are and all of that. And, and that is the bit that I think goes wrong so much. So when we're talking about Radical, where does Radicano go? Until until she gets her shit in order in some way, which is going to be unbelievably hard, how how does she reach that expectation of the superstardom that, that winning a tennis tournament has set up in, in lots of ways? And that I don't think there's that many players other than probably the ones we're talking about. Shelby seems like she has that good, Piot. You know, these players that have 
this experience and have got to the point where gratitude does sit at the very top of what it is. You know, Emily, you've been out on on the tour for twenty years. Your 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 success measure can't only be winning Wimbledon. So so, what are your success measures? You know, share share that with us because I think that is a that is a story for me. Your story is unbelievably successful. You know, but and and it'll continue to be. But what what is your drive? Passion for what I'm doing and love of the sport. It's literally that simple. I wake yeah. up and look forward to playing tennis every day. That that happens. Um, and I think from the perspective of everything we've spoken about, I think it is very much down to the individual, but I was really lucky with my childhood. I had a multi-sport background, um, I had a very balanced academic start. Um, and I think all the way through, I've had to find that balance myself without a team around me and without good people around me, um, which I found from myself. So I think it is possible to do it by yourself in that environment, within the tennis environment, which as we know, and we have said is the toughest sport in the world. But I think if you have a purity within the, the passion for what you're doing, it's actually very simple to do. Um, and I'm asked that, it's the first question I'm asked. I was asked it today when I was doing a question and answer session with the kids, you know, why are you still playing? Like, how are you still playing? And it just comes down to that. And I think there's not many people my age um, that can wake up and really look forward to going to work, which I do. What, 23? Yeah. <laughs> Especially after coffee. <laughs> it's very... I mean, hats off, hats off to you. I mean, that's, that's, that's yeah, obviously amazing that after all these years, you still have that burning desire and passion. And I'm love. not driven. I'm not driven by money, um, which at my ranking is a is a good thing. Um, because as long as I have enough money to carry on doing what I'm doing at the moment, then that's fine for me. Um, I think in a few years that may not be the case, but I'm not worried about life after tennis. I I have a calmness that I can be really successful after tennis in whatever I do. Um, but in terms of like what I bring and what I how I go about my days um, and what I'm, how I'm able to work with what I've got um, under the circumstances, which isn't easy sometimes, um, but also from a perspective of not just enjoyment, but actually having quite clear goals about what I want to do still. I still feel driven by that, which is the passion side of it. Um, but I think it's hard to explain that to people who perhaps don't have that. Um, because I think naturally you either have it or you don't um, and people find their passion for other things but if you if you don't have that it makes working hard a lot harder um, and if you have it it makes working hard easy um, the travel days and things like that are something which starts to hurt through the years and there's plenty of sides of it which I don't enjoy um, but they're part of the job that goes with it and the overriding thing um, is that yeah, is that I, I think it's a beautiful sport and I love I love what I'm doing. I'm on board fully. Fully. Like that's, you know, exactly certainly where my philosophies have got to. But I'm gonna be devil's advocate. Someone's listened to this going, okay, blah, 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 blah fluffy, yeah, great, wow, wow, wow. But if you did care more about money, if you did care more about ego and this is me, fame, look at me, I'm winning this. 
would you have had more success? Not not in terms of what I'm talking about success, but success that traditionally we think of success. Success is lifting a trophy, isn't it? And having a having a big bank balance in 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 modern day society, rightly or wrongly, and wrongly for me. So so uh, no, not, not not just to you, Em, and someone else yeah. might jump in at this point, but. Do you think you or like-minded people to you? Freddie was quite similar, in my opinion, to that Ooh. as well. And people gave him shit for years that actually, Freddie, if you were a little bit more like this, then you would be doing this. And, you know, so what's what's the take on that kind of versus, I guess, the the the, the financial drive, the fame, the all of that drive? Before anyone else jumps in, if I answer from my perspective yeah. on that, I think in order to make money, you have to have it to be able to invest in first. And I never had that opportunity with what I was doing with my coaching, um, with investing in people around me to help me to get better. So in one of the ingredients that we were talking about last week that you need, whether that's grit, whether that's talent, whether that's background, whether that's the country you're born in and the financial background, I don't think it's possible to be British, not have money and make it as a tennis player you can work as hard as you can doing other things to try and make some money in order to do survive, but you can't pay a coach. And at this level now and the way that tennis is, I don't think it's possible to make the top hundred without a coach. I'm very similar to him. It's definitely. So to answer your question, if I had a different mentality, I would have retired with tennis at 15 or something because my ego would be strong. And I wouldn't, I would have protected my ego by not losing every single match that I was playing, or I would never even go into professional tennis because I, I was not very good when I started playing. I, I was laughing at the thought of getting one ATP point. So I would probably pursue something else where I could be more successful by the, by, by the normal terms that you're talking about, because there is no chance to make it in tennis so so even if i had that desire it wouldn't make a difference i think actually the the way i had my mentality gave me the chance to be somewhat successful i don't think i could have been in tennis any other way very good love the subject could jump into your comment there about british tennis player emily but we'd be going for another 45 minutes so i'm gonna <laughs> move, i'm gonna move into but they're great subjects my last storyline to look out for and doubles absolutely deserves to be talked about on this podcast and in, in, in many places and it might open a bit of a doubles chat, but we'll then get into, into our picks, but I don't know if it's drawn anyone's attention, but Mektic Pavic have actually split up. So they, they've announced that they're on the lookout for new partners. This happened at Roland Garros. Now they won Wimbledon last year. They are actually playing the grass court season together this year. And it, a lot of this goes into management of expectation, right? What we're talking about, you know, you have stronger success measures outside of tennis. Maybe you perform a little bit better. They've already had an extremely good grass court season. Don't be surprised if in two weeks time, they're lifting a trophy as the men's doubles champions, when they've actually already agreed that they're not going to be playing together after it. That then will become a really interesting conversation of what's then going to happen with them afterwards. Um, so so let's see. Didn't let's that see. also happen back in the day to Knowles and Nesta? It well, I, I think it would happen. I think with French Open. But I think he spoke. I, I heard this from Louis Kaye. And sorry, Louis, if you're listening to share our personal stories, but Louis told me that Nesta yes, spoke to him at the start of the tournament. 
and had basically said, look, it ain't working out. However, let's go and smash it here the next two weeks. I'm pretty sure that the, the conversation happened, sort of the conversation they went and then won the French Open. So 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 very, very interesting. And it'll be interesting to see how 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 that unfolds. Well, yeah, you know what's me. just so nice about that too, is that they gave each other like at least a month buffer to find new partners. I think that's like super respectful. So it's like okay that you're done with the partnership. It could be a mutual decision or it could be a one-sided decision, but they respect each other enough where they actually, you know, said, Hey, let's decide this now, but we're going to play through the grass where we know that we've done really well. Um, and then we can find new partners. So I think that's, that's an okay. The, the micro so, so basic, the basically what they're doing is in a business. They're just giving each other one week, one month fucking notice as if, if they're in a job. That's what they're so doing. One month is pretty good notice. I, I think yeah, one month yeah. is notice very too. nice. You but I guess it? it comes down to I guess it comes down to the fact that if if, if it was acrimonious, that it wouldn't they would be like okay, piss off. I don't want to be yeah, see you or be be near you on a court. But the fact that they obviously saw, yeah, I think they was, have a good enough friendship. You know, they yeah, amicable, a lot right. together. So I think they're going to be okay. Dabby, this yeah. sound this sounds like we need to get more off your chest. The microphone's yours. Oh, I said that's that's all I wanted to say is that I really respect them as a team because of the way they've handled it. So basically, what you're saying, women women are more bitchy about it when they step up. No, not necessarily. I don't okay. want to generalize. No, no you, I, can, I can you can you, you can you can you can you can say it. it's fine. We we don't mind on the show. Well, Gabby has had a personal situation where after the French Open, her partner has split up with her before before the grass court season. So this is something and that, and again, look, this is, this is real, real talk on, on this podcast. So yeah, like, yeah. is yeah. that, that's not normal, I guess. That's not a normal way to handle things. So what, so, so what the reality of that, and this is personal to you, Gabby, and you're, you're, you're the one that's feeling this. You've then gone and played the next week, signed in with Bianca, haven't got into the tournament and then, and then, what is then the process of trying to find a partner so close to a Grand Slam? It's at sixteen in the world. So tell us about tell us about that. You know, we're not talking about someone who hasn't had great success in the game. You know, who's like clinging on to try and get a partner. We're talking about someone who's gone very deep in Grand Slams, has won a thousands events. So, so tell us what that experience has been like for you the last two weeks. Um, unbelievably stressful. Yeah, definitely some sleepless nights. Um, definitely a lot of reaching out to a lot of people, which is okay, but definitely waiting for answers uh, from people is is not the easiest experience because you know people don't answer straight away. They don't see your message, and I'm not the type of person that's going to send out 20 messages to 20 people at the same time and see who my favorite person is who responds quickest. Like. I'm sending it to one person. I'm waiting for an answer. If that doesn't work. I'm sending it to another person. I'm waiting for an answer. If that doesn't work, I'm moving on. So, um, yeah, uh, missed two advanced entry deadlines. So was beholden to the on-site sign-in, which is what happened in Berlin. Everybody wanted to play. The cut on-site was maybe like 40. Um, me and Bianca combined were maybe like, I don't know. Yeah, like just under 50. Um, luckily here in Eastbourne, not everybody wanted to play. So I got in and I played two matches, which is great. Um, and found a partner for Wimbledon, but 
almost didn't make it into the draw. I, yeah, at team 52 of 57 at the deadline, very different circumstances than I'm used to. Um, but I'm also in a very privileged position to have been able to make a lot of the entry deadlines in advance without a worry for many years. So definitely appreciate that a hell of a lot more now than I ever have. Um, but hopefully smoother sailing moving forward. Yeah. In the personal, personal aspect of things. <laughs> and this sort of stuff. Yeah, Gabby. I hope it goes all right. Thanks. You you will be much stronger for this experience, you know. And that's if you need a shoulder to cry, and I'm I'm a big bear. You can cry my shoulder. Thanks. Tennis no is definitely character building. Yeah. But isn't it? Doesn't it just show what a cowboy sport we're in as well? Like, like that sort of stuff. Like the same with us as coaches. You can just be. You can be gone. You can be gone. With yeah, it. you you go from the penthouse to the shit house very quickly. No security. I think it's interesting and, when you and and, and, the, and the reverse. You can go from the shit house to the penthouse very quickly as well. You I think be, from a doubles from a doubles perspective, and you when you speak to people who don't know the inside of the sport like we do, like if you're staying with people or people from that town or whatever, they can't quite understand that when you haven't played with someone before and you're playing on the same team as them, that they they don't understand that. Like they're like, oh, so you haven't played together before, and like, no, and they're like, but how are you gonna, how are you gonna go into the like the match? How are you gonna practice together? And they don't get it that it kind of it can literally be from week to week as a doubles player that you're just randomly pairing up with someone, um, or which, that you don't even always practice with. Them. They don't always practice with mm -hmm. them at all, mm -hmm. um, or you know, they just find that the normal person finds that very hard to understand. And it's something weird about the sport that it's a team sport, but you're not you're not preparing or practicing as a team in a lot of circumstances in doubles. Well, Hewitt, Hewitt, Bob Hewitt and Prue McMillan were one of the most successful doubles teams ever and they hated each other. They never practiced. They never you're showing your outside. age now, Vozzy, I tell you what. <laughs> outside of the match court. Yeah. But but let me let me just chime in with saying that the men, I know you have a good example with uh, Mexic Pavis, the men are not better. It's They're also not very nice to each other and everybody's just three bad results away from one partner thinking the other partner is shit and they could be something better and the grass is always greener on the other side and it's one yeah. of the things that that both as a fan from the outside and also having been inside it and living it it's one of the big reasons why i never really got into the doubles doubles thing because i couldn't relate to it there's too much loyalty and too much me 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 i don't i struggle with a team sport where it's you play for yourself I never understood why all the players had individual coaches. I realized quickly that that's because they got to be uh, be able to uh, to to fa fa fall on their feet when they get dumped. I got dumped by my partner. We had team coaches that were his. And then when I got dumped, I was alone. So I could see, oh, now I understand why everybody has their own individual. And it's, I think it's boring as a fan as well, to be honest, that, that there's not more loyalty and people are mixing and matching and, it's something that's maybe I need a few years to get back into it, but I feel for you, Gabby. But on a, as a fan level, I think it's boring. I I, I missed. I, I want to see people stick together. I want to see the 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 Bryans and the Woodies and the 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 Hewitt and McMillans and whoever it is to to create a a big partnership and and make create a legacy. And now it's just every everyone is out there for themselves, and they don't mind throwing each other under the bus. And I'll just add to that, um, I had a meeting with uh, Broadcast uh, a couple of years ago, and I remember them saying, even in terms of doubles marketability, it was a lot easier to sell 
doubles teams than it is just individual doubles players. Even in terms of like promoting the sport of doubles, I think you're right. And sticking together definitely um, is an advantage. Um, Before, before we move into our picks, Gabby, remember class is permanent and we'll be having you on the podcast, whether it's permanent. You're permanent. We'll be having you on the podcast in two months. Since since me and Barcy are still on, that obviously is not a requirement to be on the podcast. This is a serious point. Two two months, six months, twelve months. We'll be talking about a very successful doubles partnership, and they will be regretting not being with you. You know that's how that's how that's how this business works, and and you will use this in your favor. I'm a big believer of that. Experiences aren't good or the bad they're just experiences and it's how we how we use those experiences to then you know and often we don't know what what that experience was for until a few months a year two years a few years down the line and this will all make sense eventually and like i say your your class will come through um in terms of our picks the dark horse this is my proposal you guys are absolute You've lost the plot. You've lost the plot. You're picking, you're picking all sorts of dark horses, people that aren't in the tournament. You're picking Grand Slam winners. You're picking. I mean, it's literally, it's unbelievable. Some of the picks. So, so this is my my proposal. You're gonna have three different picks. You're gonna have your winner. Who's gonna win? Not Yannick Sinner, who you think might win. Emily, you know, he will come into the second pick, which is someone who might win. So that's an example. Sinner's your second pick. Rublev, Gabby. Is not is not a dark horse. That might be someone that might win. Yeah, Ostapenko, whichever idiot picked Ostapenko last time for the French Open, that's someone who might win. And then you've got the third one, which is an actual dark horse. It's someone who the listener who doesn't obsess over tennis but watches the Grand Slams, the latter stages of the Grand Slams, probably doesn't know that it, this name. Doesn't know that they won the 250 in Berlin. Doesn't know that they won the 125 Challenger. Whatever it might be. So this is us bringing a fresh talent, a fresh name to the party for the listener. Yeah, and we don't advocate gambling, but they might go and put their 50 to 1 on because Gabby said that this is the person. Yeah. No. (laughs) we, We certainly don't advocate that. But that's that's the... That's the point that we're we're making here. So um we're gonna start with our outsider outsider, our proper dark horse. And Piot, I've seen you play doubles, mate. You can play some doubles. You went quiet on the doubles chat. So we're gonna bring our singles coach in here. Yeah. And and you're gonna start us off. Women's side, dark horse. Give us, give us a give us a name. Give us someone who if they make quarterfinals, you are like a legend of control the controllables because your player has made it to the quarterfinals. It's not a dark horse to win the event. Tough decision, but I'm I'm still not sure if that's the right pick with your rules right now. But I would say Katie Bolter. That's for me. That's a dark that's the right pick, definitely. That is a dark horse. That's that yeah. that definitely comes under dark horse. Okay, so that's my pick. Camilla Georgie. Gabby? Um, my pick is Mira Andreeva. She's playing last round qualies. That's my pick. That's oh, what sorry. I've got, that's what I've got sorry, written down. <laughs> that's what I've got written down. 
What's the what's the furthest Alexandrova's gone in a Grand Slam before? Don't know if she qualifies. She's close to top twenty now, right? Who's let's be honest, who's who's heard of her that's listening? Not many. Third round. Third round's her best result for Alexandrova. Oh, come on. Surely I can have her as my dark horse. Yeah. That was as... gonna be mine too. <laughs> oh, this is, this is why you gotta get in quick, Freddie. Gabby's taken mine, so you know, yeah. I've had to jump ship. So who who's is that a part of the rule that that no two people can have? The no, same? it's not. It's not. It's not. You can come on. I'll I'll let you jump on jump on my ship as well. Vozzy, <laughs> furiously looking at the draw over there, or looking at the list. So I'll go. I'll go with um, Dark Horse Sheriff. She doesn't want to match on grass. Yeah, that's really no. <laughs> 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 Is, it, some it, gambling, it, though. There's 60% play. There's 60% play Let's hope she goes on the back, back courts at Wimbledon. Hey, leave her alone. <laughs> the green clay. But, damn, Vozzy, you are loyal. I'll give you that. You went for her last time as well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'll give you it. It's, uh, it's loyalty. You were he was loyal with Sabalenka as well, and she ended up winning. So maybe there's something mm. to the madness. Well, so while you're at it, Vozzy, while you've got your list out, what about yeah. the what about the second the the second phase? So someone who they could win it, but it's a bit of a dark horse to win. I'm gonna go Lely Fernandez. Is okay. she playing? <laughs> <laughs> That's a dark horse too. I, yeah, I, yeah, she basically hasn't won two matches. Lefty, in a row. lefty on I the grass. She's dangerous. But I think that's it. That's the third pot. That's the same anyway. That's fine. Oh really? I'll, I would okay. have that as a more of a third okay. pot. But so I give you an example. Can I give example? I think yes. Petra Kvitova. Yeah. That's my. That's you can't that's take that. Come on, let's go. <laughs> so, uh, go <laughs> she is for me. She's the perfect. I'll, I'll, okay, then I'll go. I'll go. Perfect I'll go second my, pot. My, my second one, Madison Keys. Okay. We'll give you that. So, sorry. The second dark horse can be a former slam champion. Yes. Ange yeah. Jabeur. It's out of the... So, Ange Jabeur. I hope she doesn't play your first pick. I know. In the first round. Yeah. <laughs> you just watch them play today, so they're both in your head. Yeah, maybe. I'll watch a little bit. <laughs> Gabby Vekic. Yeah. Solid pick. And Freddie, you on my boat as well? I get mine and Piot's boat here. No, I'm gonna be a little less fantastic, and maybe you can say if it's approved or not. But I'm gonna go eager. No, I would say totally approving for number two might win, but actually, nobody expects her to win, right? Press. No, no, she's expected to win <laughs> because she won juniors. <laughs> yeah, but she had a good coach then, Piot. <laughs> okay, I'm going to give it to you. I mean, if Piot lets you have it, then then that's enough qualification for me. Um, Vozzy, do you want to go to your first pick now? Yeah, Zabalenka, go on, go. She'll never let me down. Zabalenka, yeah. Emily, Why the If we have an eager in pot two, <laughs> what was that shot? <laughs> if we've got eager in pot two, that was my pick. Like. We have two. We have two choices, no? Yeah, I'm. I'm going for Rebecca too. As a... is she? Is she ready? She pulled out last week. 
I think uh, she's ready. I saw her practicing today. I don't think she she has any more problems. No? You think it was a little tactical get ready for the real deal? Along with the Could other people that pulled out of Eastbourne. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. A lot of them, actually. And and are we thinking that maybe Sabalenka's going to have a bit of scar tissue from the French going into Wimbledon? No. Why would you think that? Leave her alone. Well, she choked. <laughs> she choked. She choked, huh? Choke. Fucking use that term lightly. No, she didn't choke. It's one of them things. Leave her alone. She's going to come to the fore. You watch the space, ladies and gentlemen. She's going to kick some ass these next two weeks. Don't worry. She's a racehorse. She's in a stable. She's in tip-top condition. She's fine. She's okay. going to come out swinging and grunting and kick some ass. Gabby? I'll go with you, Dad. We'll see. It would be amazing. I mean, if Iga if Iga could win Wimbledon, I think it it changes it changes the game a little bit. It's a real statement. Um, anybody else to go? I'm being a gentleman. Rybakina, Freddie. Yeah. Um. Well, I'm in the Vozzy corner. I'm a Sabalenka. I am a little bit worried about the choke at French. How what effect that has? Um, I'm a little bit worried as well. She got duffed up last week as well, but. I think I think she'll be I think she'll be good be good to go. So so let's see. So we haven't gone too far away from the big three. And as we move into into the men's side, let's do it a different way. Let's go for our winners first. We'll do pot one, pot one to start with. Put your hand up if you are not Novak Djokovic. <laughs> this is this is an audio no. podcast. I'm going to go Carlos Alcaraz. I'm putting my hand up. Okay, so nobody had their hand up, but you're going to go Alcaraz. Did you see that stat that he hasn't lost a completed match on centre court since 2013? I mean, it it doesn't surprise me. I would say that what we forgot about in Roland Garros here will play a huge role, which is best of five on grass experience for Novak. We we can't let ourselves down again, can we? After Roland Garros, I don't think any of us are uh, are ready to do that. So uh, it's it's the it's the Novak the Novak train apart from Kieran who who's jumped off, and now we move to pot two. Um, you've gone Taylor Fritz, I believe, Kieran. Um, not after I thought beforehand. <laughs> what what, what did you see? What what, what what did you what did you see in Eastbourne? With the forehand, he's more, yeah, he's got he's got so many kinks in his armor there. It it just seems like he's just changed something. It's it's weird, but I'm sure you know Paul Paul Anacone is there with with uh, Mike Russell, so I'm sure they're going to work it out. But no, just it didn't. He doesn't look comfortable for me. So my number two pick, I'm going to go Runa. Yes. My number two pick. I mean, I saw him practice a lot of Queens. He's playing, he's, he's playing with an element of freedom. It's nice for me to see him close up. And I think there'll be less expectation on him at Wimbledon versus him going into Roland Garros with all the success he had on the, on the clay season. Who's next? I'm going to quarter. Deb Quarter? Good shout. He was my number three. Shout. Maybe controversial. He was but... your number three. He was my number two as well. Um, number two. Um, I think Corder. I think Corder is a is a two. No, I think he's looking at this. He's he's the tenth favorite. 
He's the tenth favourite. Very, very similar to actually actually Rooney and Taylor Fritz in 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 the stakes. And I don't know if that I mean obviously he's class, isn't he? I mean he's he's seriously class. I mean he came out last week and said he was one of the favourites, which was interesting. Talking about Rooney there, adding expectation. You you don't necessarily want to add that extra expectation, but Corder maybe did that last week. It might have been a throwaway comment, but I think a comment like that maybe is a little bit immature. It's not what he needs. He just go under the radar. Um, but I think it Corder Corder's a one. I don't think there's many that can win on the grass, especially on the men's side. And and I I think Corder over the years is someone who could. Okay, so if I if I'm not allowed to pick him as a third, then I'm leaning more towards some of the winners, Bublik or Kriegspor kind of guys. I don't yes. know if Bublik can stay. <laughs> Five sets, Bublik. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's the, there's the Halle curse. Have you seen that? No. In the last it's the, in the last I don't know twenty twenty years of the guys who haven't been Roger Federer to win Halle has lost first round of Wimbledon. Shut up. <laughs> there's something some, I can't remember how many years back okay. it is but it's it's pretty interesting but uh, yeah and Griegsball he obviously has the injury history and, and five setters could be difficult Manorino could be one as well I'm, I'm, I'm kind of grasping at straws here because my number three pick was cancelled who was your two? Holger so you had Holger in the two pot as well okay so we, we haven't got this criteria sorted have we guys yet but mm. I think we're doing good. I, I like the criteria. It's something to work with. Yeah. Are we still on number two? I think Piot, Piot needs to give his two, I think. Tough decision about number two. Because my number three would be Alex Deminaur. Yeah. That's my number I three. Can't have as number did three. You, he can't have Deminaur. Did you go out for dinner with Katie and Alex this week or something? You no, got... but uh, that's I'm yeah. um, you know like following that pathway. <laughs> they have positive energy together, so why yeah. not? But number two, I would say that's probably controversial too. But Cameron Nori, the same with Deminor. They are like sim- similar rankings. Last re- results, of course, Alex playing a little bit better, but both super solid players. So. Am I allowed Andy as number three? Yes, one hundred percent. I'm having Andy. Andy's Andy's not in the top two, I don't think. He has a few slams before, though. Hasn't I know. He? I know, but he's got a new. He's got metal hit, mate. He's got all sorts, you know. <laughs> and if we and if we go on, if we go on recent history, you know, he's not even seeded. You know, he, he got close and he pushed. He pushed hard to get seeded. Maybe could have made a smarter decision and not played Queens and played a lower level event to get him over the line into, into the seedings. Cause I, I think that makes a massive difference. You know, he, he could easily be coming up against Novak early, Alcaraz early. Whereas if he was seeded, you'd like to think he would get himself to the third round and uh, you know, things start to open up a little bit, but I think I'm pleased Andy's in the conversation because the two names I've got written down here, Andy Murray and, and the other one is last year's finalist hasn't been mentioned yet. Dan, you know the grass court seeding with the formula that Wimbledon have. Does that only count for the top eight seeds, or does that count for all the thirty-two seeds? It's a good question. I I know that Alcaraz is the top seed this year. 
based so, on the formula. Well, that makes me think that they're just following the rankings. I don't know if anyone's got any uh, insight. They, they skipped the formula last year. They changed it. I, I think, think so. I think they yeah. must because yeah. if yeah. there's a if there's a formula, Djokovic is the is the top seed. So when I saw the other day that Alcaraz is the top seed, they must have just gone. I think they've just gone to what the ranking ranking equals seed now. I think they've got. Uh, speaking of the seeds, do you think that Andy would be thinking about the seeds? I th I would just think he just does whatever he thinks is the best to to get him ready to win Wimbledon. That that's my impression of his frame of mind. What do you think? I don't. I think he tried everything he possibly could to get seeded. I think. Okay. I think. I think he didn't play a French Open to prepare on the grass to get. See, I think Wimbledon is the event for Andy that he believes he can have a proper run in like in his heart of hearts. I think he, and, and I, I don't know this. He hasn't said like this if he me. plays a demon or first round is tough, right? So absolutely. Well, demon or is not the one he wants. He doesn't like yeah. that matchup one bit, you know, yeah. but, but yeah, I, I think I do. I think that's how Andy thinks. I think he's, I, 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 it's, it's interesting because we've talked a lot about mindset today and, I think an Andy Murray, even going through what he's gone through, is driven by results, rankings, you know, all of all of those bits, actually. You know, and it, it seems he's probably got that perspective. But he, I think his tennis is very highly driven by that. And, and I think a lot of his scheduling is driven by getting the ranking to, to get to that as well. Um, and I think he... Yeah, still... Don't you think that he thinks that he can win Wimbledon? I think... He thinks uh, that he can win Wimbledon. I agree. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I would. I think if uh, Andy I was think, on this I, he's, definitely, he's definitely playing Wimbledon, thinking he can win hundred percent. I think he would put himself in pot two, not pot one, though. No, you put oh, himself in for pot sure. one. He would put himself <laughs> in pot one. You no, think? I don't 100%. think so. I don't think so. I, I, but I definitely think that he thinks that he, he's there to win. He's coming yeah, to Wimbledon to 100%. win. Yeah, yeah, I'm playing it for Smarties, mate. He's there to bring up that golden, golden trophy at the end. I, I, I would disagree, and 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 I think I, I think we're, there's there's a belief system that's that's deep within us, and then there's like a, a a belief system that sits there and what we say, and I think in that real deep belief system. He doesn't believe he's winning another Grand Slam. I think he believes that he, he, Wimbledon is a one that he could maybe get a quarterfinals or he could go on a bit of a run. But uh, let, I mean, let, let's see. But I, I, I don't think he believes at the other slams that it's going to happen. I think, I think a lot of his years being around, getting to this point at Wimbledon, to be prepared on the grass to to have a run, and and I think last year it was Isner. I think he lost to last year. And, yeah, and, did, yeah. and and he knew he knew as a lot of the men did last year that draw was opening up. Kyrgios knew it. Kyrgios saw it early. You know he saw it on the second round. You could see, and and I think if Murray got past Isna, it was like okay, and that I I'm seeing people I can beat. I'm not sure Andy's going and think he can beat Novak. You know I'm not sure he's going and think he can beat Alcaraz, but if he gets the right draw. And as much as we'd like to say that you've got to beat everyone in the tournament, if you're seeded, the draw gives you a much higher chance of having a favourable draw to a certain part of the part of the of the tournament. Um, if you're not seeded, 
you, the, the likelihood is you're gonna you're gonna get a shitty draw, and I I, I think I think it's bigger than we realize. To that point, yeah, you're right. But at the same time, you can also be lucky that if you're if you're one of the lower seats, you're gonna run into one of the higher seats quick, and if you're not seated, you can be lucky and you can avoid them. You know, there's there's a lot of ifs and buts. Yeah, maybe. But draws are important. Like Katie Poulter, who, who we've talked about, Piot, didn't beat a player inside 130 in the world and won a WTA tournament in Nottingham the other week. That's you, why she's my third pick, not second. I think know. that's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> but she's, you know, that's what's going to happen. So you, the draws the draws can open up, but it, it, it's, it's going to be interesting. Kyrgios, any chance worth worth the conversation? Or, or is he just is he is he one gonna play two? If Sorry, he I have to interrupt because today one of your boys was hitting with him and he is hired until the end of the tournament. His name is Tom. Is, I saw the picture. Out to him. <laughs> he got a message like he's every time set up with uh, with Kyrgyz to the rest of the tournament. Brilliant. So that's Soto Grande Academy. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> this is this is Tom Tom Lindley from the academy. He's over there hitting. So and, and he he's got good banter, Tom. So it might be. It might be more for his banter than it is for his hitting. Tom is going to find himself in all sorts of trouble. I might <laughs> have to fly out there and look after him myself. But that's that's good to hear. So has Kyrgios got a chance, Kieran? Has he got a chance? Yeah, he's got a chance if he's in the draw. Um, but if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna look at like the racing post and look at form, no, he hasn't got a chance. You know, he hasn't he hasn't played any matches. I saw Calvin beat um, Calvin beat beat on in the last seven years. He's he's, he's gone past the Grand Slam first week once. He's never won a Master Series event. And his highest ranking's been 13 in the world. If but he made final. That, but he made final of Wimbledon last year. So there's pedigree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 then again, again, you're talking of you know utilizing your luck at the same time. You know he. He had a good quarterfinal against Garen. Then he didn't play the semi because Nadal got hurt. And then, you know, and, and actually, I think that worked against him. Not playing from the Wednesday to the Sunday. You had too much time to think about the final. But if you're going, if you're going on form, you can't, you, 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 you're, you're relying on reputation from a year ago. If you're going on current form, he's, it's undisclosed. He hasn't played. He's not match fit. So there's a chance that, you know, he's going to, Start getting niggles early on. His elbow may get sore, shoulder may get sore, um, just from you know the repeat. So no, I, 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 I don't think he's in the running this year. And, and to that though. point, he was playing a lot last year and coming in good form. There's a big contrast to this. What year. happened last week? He entered and then he he withdrew. He withdrew. Yeah, that's it. yeah. He played. He played yeah. and lost first round, and then he withdrew. Yeah. So he hasn't. He's he's got not. He's got no tennis tennis under his belt. So he don't know if he's healthy or not. It sounds like he's not. But when you serve like Nick Kyrgios, I don't know how healthy you need to be for some matches. You know. But you need to be. You need to be serving like that for twenty-one sets. You know. So no, I'm not talking about winning the event, but he he could serve his way through a couple of matches. Hundred Slap a couple but of four. I, thought, I thought we were talking about him as going and into then, the latter stages. Well, then it, you know it, you get you get into round three, and who knows? I don't think so. I don't think so. But I think he's he's worth being in the conversation. I want to hear the pot threes. Um, 
there's there's a few that potentially could be mentioned. You mentioned Manorino. He's also on my list here, Freddie. It's like you guys have been looking at my list, I think, um, <laughs> in in advance. But any 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 names for us to be watching out for? Stroff is the one. I don't know if I'm allowed him in pot three, but he's he's he was my pick as someone who I could actually see doing some real damage. You know, he's the sort of player I could see just popping up in the quarterfinals, you know, the odd time maybe making the semifinals, because I think that sort of player at Wimbledon does come through at times. Um, so he he was the one that 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 was that was at the top of my list as a as a genuine dark horse. I mentioned yeah. Greek for I think he's a one to look out for. He has a big potential game and is coming in with uh, with with some good wins in in the last few weeks. Yes, yeah, so my my third pick is and actually I, I demoted him to my third pick based on the fact that he's shagging a lot, and that would be Stefano Tsitsipas. So I think just on <laughs> on that basis he he goes to the third the third tier. Um, he's very much in love with Bordeaux. So I saw it firsthand at Arangi, and yeah, he's um, his little brain is really taking control of his tennis right now. So I would like to demote him to the third tier. And, and you also let the world of Twitter know that, Kieran, as uh, his result his result was announced losing today in Mallorca, to which I believe your reply was quite simple. He is shagging too much. <laughs> um, so is this is this a scientific is this scientifically being proven that this is not good for your game? Not good for your game. You've got to focus on your tennis. Women, you know, women, women are, I love women, but they're dangerous when you're playing tennis. You've got to really, you've got to zone in. As women will say, men are dangerous as well. Padosa may, 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 may light it up. You know, she's on the court. She loves playing with the one she loves. That was, there was an Instagram she wrote last week. So, yeah, it's love in the air. It's going to be a hot topic. The Sun newspaper are going to be all over that story. Yeah. My third pick, I'm going to go, I'm going to go as ever. 150 to one with Ladbrook. I just hope he. I just hope he's fit. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. I, don't worry. There's no nibble there. <laughs> I just hope he's not knackered from the hellhole that you had him in a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, the hellhole. Yeah, we did. We we had a few this week as well. It's all good. <laughs> Gabby. Sorry, I didn't say my second pick. My second pick is Hubie Hurkacz, and my third pick is Andy. Very good. I, I like the Hurkacz one as well. Beautiful serve. That's a that's a great shot. Beautiful oh, serve. Shot. The the problem is he never wins a match that isn't seven six <laughs> on the third set or fifth set. He loves a long match, so that he's going to be knackered after the first couple of rounds. He needs a couple of easy wins, which he doesn't get. And then Andy, we we should all be on the Andy train. So we're coming to the end, guys. I've got. I, I was going to do a quiz, but I thought you know what, it's a bit. It's a bit predictive. Freddie always wins, you know. So, but I, I, I do want to check if anybody knows. Just one question, and then I'm, I'm going to ask you about a video that I sent you guys. That, as the good students that you are, I'm sure you've watched. Um, why do Wimbledon bring in hawks? Does anybody know that? To keep the the doves away from pooping. Pigeons, not the pigeons. Pigeons. <laughs> Hidden stuff. <laughs> so, I'm, so play, keep, I'm playing the second language on that one. So to keep, so, so to keep the pigeons away. Okay. Does anybody know what the name of the famous 
Hawk is at Wimbledon? Oh, God, I do. <laughs> Tony Hawk. I've met the Hawk. You have? Yeah. Forgotten. Was he he or she nice? Because if I say he or she, then that's, yes. that's yes. cutting off 50% of the names. I, I You don't remember? No, it was a bit scary. <laughs> So no, nobody knows the answer. The next question was going to be, do you know the other two Hawk? If you don't know the name of the famous one, you're not going to know the <laughs> other two. So the famous Hawk of Wimbledon is called Rufus. That's right, Rufus. So that's that's our little bit of uh, boring trivia that someone is screaming in their car. They knew it. They were there shouting Rufus. You know, someone's on the motorway looking at them, wondering why they're shouting that. So, but my la- my last question... The video I sent you was was a match between Kortov and Davidovich. And Kortov did what we did all the time as juniors. He had a short ball and he was told, as juniors, we were told the best place to go is right at somebody. You know, one, from a tactical standpoint. You know, and two, maybe there is a little bit of intimidation factor. That is how I was brought up playing tennis. For some reason, nowadays, it seems like these things happen and the players go in a monumental sulk to the point where they're not even properly shaking hands at the end. So my question is, are tennis players too soft nowadays, Piot? Absolutely. Gabby? Short but sweet for certain. (laughs) For some of them, of course. But uh, in the past, we had the conversation WTA drama. I don't think it's accurate right now. I would say overall tennis drama because it's the same. So... What's the point of dividing it right now? Absolutely. And Gabby, someone tags you. You know, the ball's a little bit below the height of the net. There's not a great there's not a great place to go. There's not many places that you can go. It's different if it's a smash maybe on top of the net and, you know, they're hitting your head. But they hit you, surely you're not sulking over that. I mean, my partner accidentally pegged me in our warm-up today. So <laughs> for me, it's like, it's very normal in doubles. I think people get pegged all the time. Um, I never do it on purpose. Uh, some people do, which is probably the, that's the issue around it is if- How do you know it's on purpose? Because, well, it one, it depends if they like really apologize or not. Like if they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like they probably were not intending to hit you. Um, but like sometimes you're just really nervous and you need a target and it's like hard to control. But if you're like not nervous and you have the whole court, then it's like, why? But like, I don't know. In doubles, there's tons of pegging, so I don't really care. Um, I think if you hit a really short ball and you're at the net, then you should be ready. So the Cameron Norrie one, Freddie, on in Rome, mm. on Djokovic, was that on purpose as a tennis player? I didn't think it was. No, it, I don't think so. And I also think a lot of the time, subconsciously, when the, when the players get upset, they're probably pissed at themselves for giving the opponent the chance to do it because they hit a shit shot or something like that. Um, I, I I used to be upset about that, you know. I would I would initially be upset, and I needed something to vent my anger on. And easiest yeah. thing is the opponent, but in actual fact, I was just annoyed with myself for for getting myself in that situation. It happens. So be it. Move on. I think to Gabby's point, you can see it sometimes. Like if you concede the point, which I've done a few times, turn my back and still getting drilled straight in the back, then there's probably some intent. Uh, but uh, but uh, sometimes you do it to intimidate, to make you. If there's a stare down after, there's a few players who used to do that. There's probably some intent, 
and and you you also have an understanding as a player of, of of when it's controllable and when it's not you know controlled and controllables and uh, if 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 it's you you can kind of gauge the situation during the match and you you have a really good idea of when it's on purpose and when it's not and when it's like on purpose in this situation you understand that it's obviously tactical because he would be stupid to try and be cute and play it around the other guy and lose the points and there's a should be an understanding. He didn't have that many options on that ball. I don't. Think. No. I think no, he expected. And... I think he expected him to move, and he didn't move. I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, with with yeah, but who cares? to win the point. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. and to to who answer cares? your point, yeah, I think that I think there are people in general, part, not just tennis. It's part of it's, it's part of the sport. In yeah. the best way, the, the best. If you go into the open place, the player can anticipate and get across and 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 perhaps hit it. Best place to go is just go straight at the body. Yeah, but I I, I want to say I wanted to say that I don't think it's just tennis. I think it's in sports in general. One of my pet peeves is football players just oh, making a meal out of being getting tackled. If you see like Graham Souness in the in the eighties going in yeah. waist high with a with a yeah. people got up and shook hands and moved on. So I think it's just something that is that is generational. Also, I mean, you can you, you can also go in cricket. I mean, the fast bowlers would target the body to ruffle you up. You know, they, they, that's what that's what they did. If you're a fast bowler, you use those assets to to ruffle feathers. I mean, Steve Harmison did it with Ricky Ponting in the 2005 Test at, at Lord. Part of the game, and if you if you can't mm. accept it as part of the game, then piss off. I mean, well, it, the it, stare it, down was phenomenal, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or Alan Donald, Michael Atherton, 1999 at Edgbaston, unbelievable. But Are you a cricket fan, Vasi, or just uh, what's happening here? What just, we're doing no, is just, we're opening up a new audience here, guys. No, it's just, uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's just yeah, it's just you know, it's just the fact that you know we're talking we're talking about something that unfortunately is part of the sport, and I think yeah, they're just a bit babyish about it. And, you know, if Cam's got a smash and hits Novak, fair fair play. Novak crying about it is bullshit. Novak had the opportunity, you know, and. and well, playing the percentages, yeah, he'll go for the body. Exactly. You think he's doing something different as the Wimbledon title is not at stake? Correct. Come on. Correct. Come on. So we all we all agree, we all agree. Tennis players are getting soft. That was a yeah, much that was a much better version of the quiz. I want to say yeah. that athletes are getting soft. No. Maybe it's people. Maybe people. That too. I'm not gonna disagree with that. So we've had two hours of tennis chat, guys. And we've come to the conclusion you all need to toughen up. And we're gonna <laughs> and that's the point that we are gonna leave it. Enjoy Wimbledon. You guys are stars as always. Thank you for coming on. And we look forward Thanks. to speaking in a couple of weeks about all the all the storylines that are gonna be flying. Good luck, Gabby. And we yeah, good luck, Gabby. Gabby, good luck. And we'll see you in London in, in a couple of days. So there you have it. Once bitten, twice shy. We aren't going to make that same mistake of going against the 23-time Grand Slam champion Novak Djokovic. I saw the other day, I, I don't remember exactly who it was, but it was a big name in the sport. They were they were next to the Wimbledon trophies and they basically said, well, that one's a given, but let's see who's going to win the women's event. Is the overconfidence in Novak Djokovic going to bite him this time? We don't like to think that these players are actually looking at social media and they're looking at 
newspapers and listening to what people have to say on the TV. But for sure they do, and for sure it has an impact. And being able to go under the radar helps a lot. But I can hear what you're saying, it's Novak Djokovic. He's been there, he's done it, he's got the T-shirts and so much more. It's going to be hard to see that he doesn't make his way to number 24. But so many, so many things can happen, and I just would love to see, well, we'd love to see the Andy Murray, wouldn't we? We'd love to see Andy Murray, and who knows? Who knows? That would be the dream. But I would also love to see a Carlos Alcaraz-Novak Djokovic final, two weeks Sunday. Carlos Alcaraz has shown that he can play on the grass courts at Queen's this year. He's made his mistakes at the French Open. You know, he didn't take care of his body or the tension got to him, as he said. And I think he would be a different animal. But what what a matchup that would be. And I think if we could have that rivalry starting to form over the next few years, I think men's tennis is in a, in a great place. And what did you think about it? Eager in pot two. You know, and it got the it got the head nod from Piot. It was maybe a nice outside thinking there that Freddie had when he was talking about Iga. Could she go and win it? They're saying the grass courts are playing a lot slower. The draws come out. She's avoided the big guns that are in the other half of the draw. Sabalenka and Rybakina in the same side of the draw. It's going to be interesting. The doubles draws look fascinating. If you look in the section, Gabby Dabrowski, she's in an unbelievable section there. If her and her partner, Krunic, can come through that part of the set of the draw, then who's to say they can't go all of the way? And Glasspool Mahout, I spoke about it at the start. Again, they get it going. They start serving big. Or is it going to be Mektic Pavic, like I called? It wouldn't surprise me one little bit. You know, once you release and you take that expectation off your shoulders. Last week in Eastbourne, 6-4-6-2 winners in the final against Dodic and Krychek. 6-2-6-2 over Ram and Salisbury. This is after we recorded this episode. You know, this team could be the ones to look out for men's tennis. We talk a lot on the podcast about management of expectation and just maybe the splitting up before the grass court season has allowed them to remove any expectation and pressure. There's going to be lots to look out for. If you are fortunate enough to have one of those golden tickets in your hand, have an amazing time. I hope you're getting the sun cream on and you're not bringing the umbrella out but what would Wimbledon be without some rainy days? I will be following every, every part of the way. I'm not looking forward to watching today at Wimbledon without Sue Barker, but we've got to move on, and I'm sure that we will get into our new routines. Wishing you well wherever you are in the world. Have a brilliant Wimbledon fortnight. But until next time, I'm Dan Kiernan, and we are Control the Controllables. <laughs>